0: We are celebrating today 18 people across alive who are being baptized, which is fabulous. And in the coming weeks, we are going to be celebrating baptisms here, which will be also good. I asked Nikki to sing that song to start the preach off because of the first few words Who am I? Who am I? Seems to be the question of the day. Everybody is asking who they are at the moment. And and people start labelling themselves. So they might be cat lady. They might be that weird person. They might be, and this one's really for my husband, but he sat at the back so I can't stick it on him, geocacher. We label ourselves by the things we're interested in. We label ourselves by our hobbies. We can label ourselves by what we do or do not feel. We're a bit strange. We're a bit nervous. When I used to suffer from anxiety, I was always careful not to say, I have anxiety, because that is not who I am. That is something that's put on top of me. I'm not an anxious person. I just have the anxiety. It's not my anxiety. So how you label yourself is really important. If you read the press, if you look at adverts... Who am I? I'm somebody who needs a 30-pound foundation, otherwise I might have a minor blemish. I'm somebody who cannot show wrinkles ever, even when I'm 86. If you look at some famous people in the press with no wrinkles, and you think, ooh, they're not good-looking for their age, they've had... Because they don't want to be identified as older. What's wrong with that? Wisdom comes with age, hopefully, at some point. I am counting on. Thank you, and so when, we, so when we ask, who am I? We can do it in two ways. We can do it in pride, who am I? Or we can go in humility to God and say, who am I? And it's when we stop identifying ourselves and allow God to tell us who we are that we really find security in our lives. When we stop saying, I am a cat lady, or I am a geocacher, or I am a bit weird, and we just say, I am who he says I am. I am who you say I am. And this is what baptism is all about. It's about allowing God to tell us who we are. Baptism is not salvation. The 18 people that are being baptized are not being saved today. They've already made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their life, to accept forgiveness for their sins and to live their lives for him. They're not becoming perfect today, sorry. And they're not more lovable. Baptism is simply identifying with what Jesus has done for us and standing up publicly. In Romans 6, Paul writes baptism into the life of Jesus means when we are lowered into the water it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we are going in our new grace-sovereign country. In other words, in baptism, you go into the water and you die with Jesus and you come up and you are a new creation. And that new creation has three amazing statements said over them by the Father. When you are baptized, the Father tells you, you are forgiven, you are loved, and you are his. In the song they sang, we sing, while I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Now, Paul, who wrote Romans, really knew what it was to be forgiven. Quick background on Paul. He was an observant Jew. He studied... And he spent the first half of his life running around killing Christians. Anybody here run around killing Christians? No? Okay. So, you know, he, if we're going to say there's a scale of sin, which I don't believe, but let's just for a minute pretend we are. Paul was right out there. He spent his life killing Christians. He would travel from town to town, root out the Christians, and kill them. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he had a vision of Jesus. And from that moment in his life, he did a 180. He spent his entire life running around from town to town telling people about Jesus. So Paul knew what it was to be forgiven. And that's what we're declaring as we go into the water of baptism. Our sins have been forgiven forever. Paul writes that... Sorry, it's just such a big concept. Occasionally it overcomes me. Paul writes that it is not us who live, it's Christ who lives in us now. So we are loved. We are forgiven. We are his. And it's the love of God that really becomes accessible to us when we become Christians. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian for a little while, and the longer I'm a Christian, the more I know about God the bigger he gets and you read passages over and over and you just see something new and it's like it's almost like when i became a christian god was not literally this big and then he gets bigger and he gets bigger and he gets bigger until you are left thinking wow and that amazing omnipresent god loves me yeah. paul writes in romans I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither life, neither death, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor the powers, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And this was not a man who had an easy life. You know, I'm a little bit tempted that when I wake up and I'm not feeling so good, oh, look. Paul was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was stoned. And he could still say that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Earlier on in that same passage from Romans 8, he says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Remember, this is written by a man who knows what all those things are like. It's not theoretical for Paul. And he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if you feel like you're separated from the love of God... Remind yourself of Romans 8, end of the chapter. Also in Romans 8, Paul reminds us that nothing, there is no condemnation in Christ. So it was lovely to hear Nikki say that this morning. Nothing you can do will separate you from the love of God because your identity in him is someone who is loved. And he is calling us into a relationship. You often hear people say Christianity is a religion, and it is. If you look at the technical dictionary definition of a religion, Christianity is a religion. But if you just see it as a set of rules, you are missing the whole point. Because Jesus didn't, if it was just a set of rules, God could have written them down and chucked them out of heaven. Sort of the Ten Commandments plus. But no, Jesus came to earth because what God wants is relationship with us. He wants to be In dialogue, he wants to talk to us. He wants us to go to him when we've got a problem, just like any relationship. And it says over and over in the Bible that we are born to know him. If God just wanted everything to be easy, he wouldn't have created human beings, but he created us because he wants to love us and he wants us to love him. St. Augustine, who was a Christian writer, a long time ago wrote god loves each of us as if there was only one of us if you were the only person if liz was the only person in the entire world the entire world had would be created for liz and if liz sinned jesus would have died for liz he would have died for one of us instead of the whole world because god loves us that much in Song of Solomons, it says his banner over us is love. So if you're in a difficult time, just remember you are walking with a great big banner over your head going loved, loved. Wherever you go, you are loved by God. So we are forgiven. Baptism tells us our identity is that we are forever forgiven. We are forever loved. And we are forever his As the song says, in my father's house, there is a place for me. Baptism is in the public acknowledgement that we accept the forgiveness of God, that we accept the love of God. And it is also a public acknowledgement that we accept that we belong to God, that we are his. In Hebrews 13, it says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? If you know you're his, then you know he's on your side. You have total security. But there is also a slight warning. Jesus says in Luke 9, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Being in relationship and known by God is an immense privilege. We need to make sure we don't deny that truth in our lives. And it's easy. You know, oh, you're a Christian, are you? It's easy to go, well, you know. Stand in the truth of who you are. You're his. You belong to him. There's a song from years ago, isn't there? It's just come to mind. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Because the point is, we have the truth and there's a whole world out there that needs the truth. If we don't shout about it, they're not going to hear about it. So we have a responsibility to tell people that God wants to know them, that he loves them, that he died for them. This isn't just for us in this hall. It's for Wyndham. It's for beyond Wyndham. And And God has a purpose for us. Baptism is your life surrendered to Jesus. And Jesus wants you to do something with that life. I take my children to school by car because they're at school in Norwich, and it's amazing because I go on a school route that goes along the Heffel Road and then through Melburton into the sort of half a bridge area of Norwich, and it's great. I mean, okay, when it's tipping down with rain, it can be quite stressful, but when the sun is shining or when it's early in the morning and there's frost and the mist is just rising off, the, it's just an amazing blessing to take them to school in the glory of God's creation. And I'm constantly saying, oh, boys, look at the clouds. Boys, look at the sun. And they're like, I'm going to school, mom. I'm quite tired. But it's amazing. And on the way back, what I found is, since I started doing this, God talks to me about what I'm seeing. And one, one day, I think he talks on the way back, because on the way there, there, there. Um, but on the way back, I was, I was going along the, part, the road towards Heffel, and I went past two fields. On my left-hand side, there was a pasture with horses and cows, which are lovely, but you have to make sure you don't look at them for too long or you start steer towards them. So I went through it. There was a field of cows and horses that were just grazing on one side, and on the other side was a freshly ploughed field, and you could just see the, the little shoots of seeds just coming up. They planted a crop a couple of weeks ago and it was just starting to sprout. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, God. And he said, yeah, but I want to tell you something. You can do two things with, Christi- with your Christian life. You can read your Bible, you can pray, and you can come close to me and it stays within you. And you are like the cow or the horse. You're feeding yourself and you're getting nice and strong, but it isn't really going anywhere except for you. And we all do need to read our Bibles and pray. This is not a sermon that says don't, okay? But you can also be a seed. You can die to yourself and surrender your life to God. You can grow in the soil of the church, but then you have a crop that you use to plant seeds into others. So we have a choice. We can be grazers or we can be planters. This isn't a salvation issue. God loves you just the same. But what I want to do is I want to challenge you to be a planter, to take what God is telling you, to take your identity of being loved and known and forgiven and his and tell others about it. Don't keep it within the confines of these four walls. I think sometimes we can get a bit Complacent. This is about God becoming bigger. Some, you know, God becomes bigger, but only if we work on it. I read in Matthew this week, um, it's when uh, some disciples, have, some of the people who are following Jesus, got a bit upset with what he was saying and they'd left. And he turns to the disciples and says, Well, what, why are you still here? And Peter says, You have the words of eternal life. And then later on, Jesus says, Well, who do you say I am? All the people, this is what people say I am. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Even when Jesus was alive, not everybody recognized him. Now, not everybody knows him. But the disciples knew who he was. You know who he is. Take that outside the walls and tell people. Can I have the salvation prayer up, Kian? Please. I haven't finished, but I just want to... You know. Jonas took us through this last week. Just think about what this is saying. We need God. We need grace. We need to be forgiven. We need to be changed by knowing we are fully and completely and always loved. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you less or more. We need that. We need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I am not good at running my own life. It goes much better when I listen to what God tells me to do. I need to remember who I am. We need to, having taken off our old labels, we need to know we're forgiven. Eve, you're forgiven. Oh, you're loved. You're loved. I'm going to stick it on your shoulder. There we go. And we need to know that we are his. We are his. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are his. And we walk that out every single day. So I want to say this prayer together, remembering that what we are reminding ourselves of is who he says we are. So dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace to forgive me and your love to change me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. With your help, I will live my life for you. Amen. The amazing thing about salvation, and salvation is just a fancy word for saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept your forgiveness for my sins, and I want to live my life for you. That's all that's meant by the fancy word of salvation. The amazing thing about salvation is it doesn't just happen once. We make a decision once, but salvation works in our lives. Throughout the rest of our lives, God is bringing eternal forgiveness and healing, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Whatever you need, you you can be saved by that grace of salvation in that circumstance. So if you have a sore mouth, that I know at least one person's got today, salvation is healing that mouth. Salvation is just... Jesus died outside time. Salvation is outside time. And people need to know about it. People need to know about it. And Mike, who I'm just going to beckon up now, Mike is going out to prison. (laughs) Sorry. The phrase Mike's going to prison always makes me giggle. Um, We keep laughing. Mike is is going to prison. Why is he spending a week... In prison, because in Galatians it says his old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer he who lives, but Christ lives in him. And Christ in him has said, go and tell these people who really need to know about me. And we want to pray for Mike to bless him for the week ahead. Chris, do you want to pray with me? Thanks. So, Father God... We thank you for Mike's obedience. We thank you, first of all, for revealing yourself to him all those years ago and for saving him. We thank you for dying for him. We thank you that he knows he is yours. We thank you that he knows he is forgiven and loved and that he belongs to you. And I pray that you will bring those old truths in a new way this week that he will be empowered with a new wave of your spirit and that everything he says and does in prison will turn those prisoners' eyes to you. Jesus said we will be known by our love for each other. May he bring your love to those men who desperately need it. Amen. So I wanted to pray for Mike at the end of the preach because we're called to be planters. Mike's being a planter. I'm not, God isn't telling everybody to go to prison. It would be a bit crowded anyway if we did. But God has, as part of your identity in him, God has a purpose for your life. It may be that you need to step up and volunteer. In one of our teams, we had these volunteer cards a couple of weeks ago. All I would say, though, is if there is something that is on your heart that you feel God's calling you to, and it's not a team at church, that's fine. That's fine but if it's something that we as the leadership team can help you with and support you in, fill in a card anyway. Even if it's I feel that we need to do a coffee morning at church, stick it on the card, put your name on, we will come and talk to you. Because in this season, I feel we need to be people who know who we are, who know we're forgiven, we're loved, and we belong to Jesus. And we need to be people who don't keep that life-giving message to ourselves, but we take it outside the walls of the church. I want us to be people who are no longer trying to identify ourselves, but who can just stand with God and say, I am who you say I am.